Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Welcome to Upholding Matters. I'm David Paul. This is our third show, and what a week it's been leading up to the material that I try and cover. It's a fascinating thing to be able to put together a cast like this, and I realize that I have to decide what you might like to hear about. I want to talk about things that matter to you, that hold you up, to uphold what you believe in. And I found it tonight in me to renew myself with the hope that we'll get through this. I left off last time talking about how to bring out the best of what it means to be an American and still find the common ground to disagree in a civil manner. People have strong opinions, and they need to have them heard. Now, I would just stress that we need to use civility as our guide. I saw General Michael Hayden on TV tonight, and he's a four-star general. He was also the director of NSA and the CIA. So he certainly is someone who knows about intelligence, protecting America, and what the future holds. Now, one thing he commented on our situation in general is partly in his view because we are in a post-truth world a post-fact world. And the reason there is so much tension between law enforcement and the intelligence community with the executive branch is because that these organizations, law enforcement, the CIA, they're all fact-based services that rely on real information instead of the stories that are made up and just believe because you go along with your tribe or club or political party. I think we see a lot of that going on right now, and it's really not in the best interest of America. This week, I attended a couple of public meetings One was a scoping session for the city brought to you by a grant that they received from the county who received it from the federal government to study, again, the problem of homelessness. I mentioned before that our community went through six months of Measure H funding think tanks. I I don't even know what you call them, but it's when the community is invited in to participate in crafting a solution. 
and they spent a lot of money on consultants and people to put together these listening sessions. And wow, our city is involved in moving forward, building a private enterprise that will be full of wraparound services for people to get a new start, have a place to live, and have someone looking after them the way you would hope that someone would look after you, and the county participating with the city to open a shelter in what used to be a hospital on the west side of town. And there are great reviews from the people that have come into the shelter and really appreciate the fact that here is a place that they can be safe, get their needs met, and basically a meal and a roof over their head. Without that, it makes it pretty difficult to move on and get on with your life. But I think the thing that struck me the most about this listening tour I went to yesterday for the city was that they are again asking the community to give their input on what they think the solution would be. Well, it surprised me that we would be back at it again, asking the community for their input on problems that are hard to even determine a true starting point, the origin of, why are people homeless? There are hundreds of reasons that they could be homeless. But if we don't want to understand and explore the reasons why these homeless issues arise, the multifaceted reasons, if we can't even pretend to know the cause of what we're trying to fix, they let you leave things on bulletin boards, your thoughts, what's the problem, what would be the best solution. And on one of these boards, I just wrote a post-it note, stuck it up there, and it said, admit that we have failed. If we don't know what the problem actually is, we can at least admit up front that we've failed at fixing it or even identifying it terribly in the first place. And that should be the first realization in our moment of hope and change. I watched a clip tonight from an HBO show called The Newsroom. And Jeff Daniels was in a panel talking about if America is actually still great or not, whether or not America is truly still great. I encourage you to find it and watch it. It talks about what we're best at, which is military spending. The statistic that he cites, which probably still is relatively true, is that we spend as much on military defense as the 25 next spending countries. 
He also raised the issue of how we have per capita the most people in prison in this country. But then he goes on to talk about how we used to do things. We used to build things. We used to stand up for what was right. He talks about reaching for the stars and my idea is to just have this be a better world through our efforts. That in itself seems like reaching for the stars, somewhat of an impossible dream. One nation under God with liberty and justice for all? I hope so. Let's take a closer look at that. Well, we talked about achieving the American dream, or at least upholding America the way we dream about it. We talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as things that we aspire to realizing we have not yet achieved, and always striving to achieve them. Now, the thing that I always try and keep in mind is that nothing is more permanent than change. A friend of mine used to say that a lot. He got it somewhere else. It's just a universal truth. The good old days, whatever they were, or however we perceive them, we're not going back to them. They don't come back. You know, I grew up giving away my age in the 50s as a very young man, and in the 60s, as a formidable adolescent ready to meet the world. They were great times. There were strange things, good things, things that people, people aren't used to. Well, I would say a lot of people don't even watch TV anymore. They can see things on their phones. So, even saying that I can remember when you had to get up off the couch or chair and change the channel or turn up the volume, these things were pre-remote, and I think they came in sometime. We didn't have the latest technology, but pretty soon it was standard and the next advancement, and on and on it went. And for a while, there were old tube TVs laying around, and I get a kick out of futuristic TV and movies that show the big old monitors. Somebody might have been able to envision that they'd be flat. But you use what you have. And that's where we're at today. We have to use what we have. We have to think for ourselves and analyze what's being said more discreetly. Um, we have to discriminate more. You remember discrimination is looked upon as a bad thing and you don't want to do it in the negative way, but in a positive way to closely analyze the situation and form an opinion based on the best available information, that's also the essence of discrimination. And 
need to discriminate. Stories of the birth of America and our founding fathers have always been among the things I like to learn about the most. There's so much history, and there are basic blueprints that I hope everybody knows. The first part of the puzzle for me is to remember what a miracle the United States of America is and how the sheer force and determination of a few people held together the fragile republic in the beginning and made it possible for it to grow into what it is today and hopefully can be for the world. Now I say nothing is more permanent than change and if we look back, there are no two periods that are the same. And within each period we could look at, there have been good things and some terrible things. What we did to the Native Americans, the entire 400 years of slavery. A lot of these things are completely inexcusable, but we have to be able to understand that they were, and some of the effects are still felt. I have been fortunate in my life to have had many African-American friends. I tell the story of my first friend in life in school, Willie Robinson, a boy that was the first and only black boy in my entire Christian day school. And while many of them have gotten past letting any of the lingering remnants of racism affect them in a deep and troubling way, I don't think any of them would say that it doesn't exist. And so it does, so it will, or it won't, depending on how we actually change. Today was the National Day of Prayer. I certainly support prayer and believe in it. You could call it a meditative state or a focus of mind or an abandonment of self. You can call it many things, but calming your mind and thinking about what is greater than you, transcendent even of this reality or plane of earthly function, that's a good thing. We need to dream big. That certainly expands the mind and puts us in reverent touch with what we believe in. Now, all that said, I don't think that people that pray differently than evangelical Christians feel much camaraderie or companionship or inclusion on a day like this when a lot of the prayers are distinctly Christian and really even more narrowly focused into a certain form of Christianity. And a fair examination of religion is always a very touchy subject. People take offense very quickly, even if you don't mean to serve it. And these are things that 
we certainly have to get over in the future as a human race in order to have a future that will be different and changed completely from what we know and yet be more what we want than some of these horrible future nightmares that we see. There is no way through that does not involve people being willing to change their minds. And if we're not able to change our minds, I don't know what else we can change. That was a very similar quote in the Churchill movie, and it struck me because it's the truth. Change, nothing is more permanent than change. Our minds will change, but we have to change them with a purpose in mind and a direction. And it has to be to make this a better world and uphold this great nation. was a nice discussion about religion. Hopefully no one was offended. And I don't know if anyone here remembers, I do, when I was young, that, and it's a general rule, I think, through time, but religion and politics are the two things that you don't talk about in polite company because they're always certain to offend someone. And I apologize again if there's any of that going on. I was talking before about the Founding Fathers, about what a miracle it was that the United States survived at all. Political intrigue is always something that really will get people riled, and a lot of times when you mix religion with that, well, That's a perfect storm for very strong opinions. Now, the um, play Hamilton is hot nowadays, and I must admit, I don't know a lot about the play. If it simply follows the life of Hamilton, then there'll be historical similarities that I would recognize. But the thing about Alexander Hamilton that's so interesting other than his interwoven nature into the foundation of America, central bank, strong federal government, kind of like England where Jefferson preferred France and revolution and uh, more for the rural farmers and uh, landed gentry of the South. And again, it is impossible to separate out the fact that slavery was the main issue that divided the North and South. And religion also then played a very important part in the political maneuvering that went on. Of course, you have your John Adams and then the 
monumental force and presence of George Washington. I think about what a struggle that was, what a great achievement he made through the sheer force of will. As far as I can see, he made his mind up to be our first great leader, and by God, he sure did it. And I do say by God, because Washington himself had differences of opinion about what God was and how to worship God and pray, and he had to factor that into all his political maneuverings even in the early days. So these are real things that are all interwoven, and we have to be able to talk about them without killing each other. Which gets me all the way around and back to Alexander Hamilton. We all know he died in a duel with Aaron Burr, a political rival. So if you want to realize that even our founding fathers found it acceptable there's a great Abraham Lincoln story in a duel that I hope to get to sometime. One of my personal favorites. It was against the law by the time Lincoln did it, which was part of something that he had to hide his whole life. But Hamilton died. Aaron Burr shot him. They settled it with pistols. Uh, that's manly, ballsy, uh... I'm not sure what other adjective I can use, but it's also pretty stupid. And most men did it with honor and shot away or used it as a way to avenge their honor, whatever that means, without killing the other guy. Just showing up was man enough to deserve the recognition of the dispute settled fairly yeah, for the sake of appearance, if you will. Pride and reputation are always a powerful motivating force. I would hope politics and religion would be something that someday people no longer had to die for. Upholding America and defending it against our enemies. That's a whole different matter. I hope to talk about that in the next episode. But until then, let me just say, get out and see 12 Strong. What an incredible movie. Good night. Good night.